Because church, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is so counterintuitive, but let me say it from Scripture, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit actually comes from emptying ourselves. That's where it comes from. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve the enemy of self and God. It's a tug of war. You gotta empty yourself. You gotta die daily. You gotta crucify the flesh. You, you gotta cry out as Paul did in Galatians 2.20. We just read it. It's no longer I. That's where every true believer has to get to. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Lord, we just come before you, and all over this room, those that are listening, God, we just admit we need you, and we need you, Lord. We can't do this. This life is too hard. So many disappointments, so many challenges, but God, you are greater. And so we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. How marvelous, how wonderful is his love for us and our love for him. And so, God, move in power as we open your living, breathing word. Hide me behind the shadows of the cross. I pray all we see and hear is you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, Acts 21, we've made it to uh, chapter 21. And here we are, and uh, just excited, uh, Acts 20. Uh, again, I, I hope you have catalog that. I hope you make a note of Acts 20. We stayed in that for several weeks, and it was so powerful, so enriching. And again, uh, just on the front end, I want to give you three chunks of Scripture, not reading them, but I want to just mention them. So as we study what biblical elders look like, pastors, overseers, teachers, etc., in that eldership model that guard the church, that protect the church, that feed the church, write these three down somewhere in your notes for reference. So 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. This is not on the screen. This is just for you. So 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Just write it down. Titus 1, 5 through 9. And 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And those are scriptures you're going to want to study. We've talked about them. We went through them the first week that we looked at Acts 20. But I want you to go back through those, study those, marinate on those as far as what it looks like to be a biblical elder, okay? But today we are in Acts 21. And the title of the message is this. I want you to ask yourself this question as I've been asking myself all week long. How far will I go for Jesus? Like how far will I go? How far will you go? Is there a, a point in your life that you would say today, I'll go this far, but I'm not going any further. The question today for me, for you, for all that are listening, that the question is how far will we go for Jesus? I believe God is looking for men and women, students and children that will go as far as he wants to take them. And so the question for me and you today is, how far will I go? You go for Jesus. Well, let's dive right into the Scriptures. And what I'm going to do is, there's 16 verses. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. It's more narrative. And then we're going to focus 
on 10 through 16, I've broken it down into two chunks, two key points, and so that's how we're going to do this. I'm going to read 1 through 9, and then we're going to go right in to studying the first key, verses 10 and following. Here's what the Word of God says with the question, how far will I go for Jesus? Here's what the Word says, verse 1, Acts 21, ESV translation, this is a an emotional scene as he's leaving these Ephesian elders. He says, as when, the Bible says, as when he had departed from them, the Ephesian elders, literally means this, in the original language, it means that he tore himself away. Ever said goodbye to someone before? And you are literally tearing yourself away? Now, we've probably had a few people that we've said goodbye to, and we were glad. No, I'm just kidding. Amen, right? Yeah, I mean, th- there's those deep relationships, biblically, that, that when they go, man, you are emotionally torn. And that's the visual I'm going to try to paint here as they're departing. Literally, in the original language, they're tearing themselves away from one another because they love one another. They should love one another. In Christ. That's what Christ does, doesn't he? That's the power of Christ. He he brings people together. Satan wants to divide and kill and steal and destroy, but, but Christ brings people together. And so they departed and they set sail. Still here in verse 1, Acts 21. We came by a straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And having found, verse 2, a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. So hopefully you're getting a picture of what's going on here. No Ubers in that day. They were sailing. Verse 3, when he had come in the sight of Cyprus, when we had come in the sight of Cyprus, leaving it on what? Well, there it is. On the left, so picture this, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo, verse 4, and having sought out the disciples, so they landed, and the first thing they're going to do, we got to find some fellow believers. Boy, it's good, isn't it? But there's so many nuggets in Scripture. The first thing they're going to do is, we got to find some brothers and sisters in this. We're in a battle, okay? We stayed there for seven days, good number. And through the Spirit, now this is interesting, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So, was the Holy Spirit actually telling them to tell Paul, there's some debate on this in the original language, because we're going to see something in a moment that would cause some contradiction. I don't believe there's any contradiction, because Scripture does not contradict Scripture. What Scripture does, it's the best commentary on Scripture, amen? I believe here you got people who remember verse 1. What are they doing as Paul is leaving? What's the emotion? Can you picture it as, as someone is slipping away from someone else? Right? I mean, the, the hands. You're just wanting to hold on one, one last second, one last moment to that loved one. You're just, you're just wanting to hold on one last moment. So I believe here the Holy Spirit is is speaking to them, but we're going to see in a moment what the Holy Spirit is truthfully revealing. Hang on, okay? Because in their flesh, they don't want them to go. That's justifiable. And by the way, this is in the imperfect, imperfect tense. What do we know about the imperfect tense? It is what? Continual. So it says here, that they're telling Paul not to go. They're, they're pleading. It's not just, hey, Paul, we don't want you to go. What they're saying is, Paul, please don't go. Paul, please, please don't go. We know what you're going to face. And yet, what do we see in verse 5? Well, it says this, when our days there were ended, we departed 
and they went on our journey, and they all, this is a good visual, look at this visual, and they all, with wives and children, the entire crew gathered, they accompanied us, Luke's writing, until we were outside the city, and here's what they did. So they're getting ready to leave, and it's just not a bunch of high fives, see you laters. What do they do right here next? What are they going to do? They're going to pray. <laughs> Man. That's a great place to start, not as a last resort. Amen? Well, we've done everything else. Let's try praying. Ah. Oh. We haven't tried anything else. Let's start with praying. Because there's power in prayer. God works in prayer. He answers prayer. He, he answers the prayer of the righteous, is what the Bible says. And so what happens? Well, they knelt down, verse 5, on the beach. Verse 6, and they said farewell to one another. So here's another emotional scene. I mean, this is another one. Mm. Think on this. Help me real quick, church. Help me. Who was gathered on the beach? Not a trick question. Who? What's the Bible say right there? It actually lists who was there. All with what? With what? Wives and, this just hit me. Man, when you gather your kids to pray, and and you gather your kids around an apostle Paul, that will forever be seared in their minds. So many things in our culture are being seared into our kids' minds. Parents, grandparents, let's make sure we're searing the power of prayer in their minds. They're not going to stumble into this by accident. We're going to model it for them. And that's exactly what we see here. So, it goes on, last of verse 6. B, we'll call it 6B. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived there at... Palominus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. Now on the next day, verse 8, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. He's, this is not the apostle, this is Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied, so God used them in a powerful way. Now, here it is, verse 10. So, we're going to immediately just dive in. So, notes are ready. Here we go. Get the pen ready, the pencil, whatever it might be, and we're going to just dive right into verse 10. So, again, the front half narrative, good stuff. We just saw good stuff, good doctrine, good meat. But now, let's really unpack this. So, verse 10, here we go. This is going to be our key one in just a moment, but let's read verse 10 through 13 first. So while, verse 10, we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belts, and he bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. You know, I read that earlier this week, and I thought, what happened to thus saith the Lord? Like, what happened? Did that just somehow just go out of fashion? Is it no longer relevant all of a sudden? The answer is no and no, amen? It's as true today as it was when the Bible was written, but thus saith the Lord. We need to get back to thus saith the Lord. We need to get back to this. And so, thus says the Holy Spirit, powerful word here, hope you see this visual. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Boy, the Jews are busy, aren't they? (laughs) 
They encounter Jesus, and they're like, we hate you. You tell us truth that exposes who we really are. You're really not our Messiah. We're still waiting on one, and so we're going to partner with the Romans and help kill you. And now Paul's standing for Jesus, and he's a truth teller, and he's doing the right things. And here go the Jews again. They hate the truth of the Word. But did you notice something here of what we just read? Look there at verse 11, just to scan that either on the screens or in your Bible. Verse 11, Acts 21. Did you notice that the prophet Agabus did not implore Paul not to go? He just told Paul what was in store. Did you catch that? It's right there. He's not saying, hey, this is what's going to happen, don't go. He's like, this is what's going to happen. Be prepared, Paul. Paul, how far will you go for Jesus? I mean, picture this. The prophets often did this in the Old Testament. They would act out the prophecy. So imagine you're Paul. Agabus goes and grabs your belt, Paul, and begins to bind his hands, his own hands, and he says these words from Scripture as I look at the Bible in front of me, this is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Like if that's you today, and that's the prophecy over your life, It's going to be tempting, right? Let's be honest. I'm being honest. It's going to be tempting to go, "Ah, sorry, chief, I didn't sign up for this. This belt doesn't fit me. Give it to somebody else. Well, what happens? Look at verse 12. This is so, so rich. Verse 12, Acts 21. When we, Luke included here, heard this. So Agabus says this to Paul, but the band of brothers, the armor bearers are with him. They heard this. We and the people, they're urged. Again, more urging, fervently, desperately. They're begging him, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. But look at Paul's response. And this is so, so key. 13, Acts 21. Then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. Literally, in the original language, we could say it like this. Paul is bold. He is adamant. He is admonishing them. He's rebuking them in love. And here's really what he's saying. I'm willing to go wherever Jesus leads me. Why are you stopping my mission? Now let's pause for a moment. Let's just pause, okay? As human beings, when you're around someone that when they leave, you are just ripped to the core as far as your heart. And you hear in front of you by a prophet that the person you love so dearly is going to face great, great persecution. I could understand, talking to me, looking at that person going, don't go. Well, would you not agree? I'd be like, don't go. So I get it. I get this. But Paul is saying, I have to be obedient regardless of the cost. And what did he say next in verse 13? He goes deeper, doesn't he? Listen to these words. 
for I, this is Paul, am ready not only to be imprisoned, which that's bad, right? That's not a good thing, at least in the flesh we would say, but even to die in Jerusalem for what? For the name of the Lord Jesus. If you ever wondered, or if you are wondering right now how far Paul is and was willing to go, that should wrap it up right there, amen? I mean, Paul was just like, I got a mission, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to go as far as Jesus leads me, and if that's on the mountain, praise the Lord. If that's in the valley, praise the Lord. If that's imprisonment, praise the Lord. If that's even to death, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Because Paul understood the divine exchange, didn't he? Without any thought, he goes, I'm laying all the lesser worldly things on the table. I'm pushing them to the middle of the table. I count myself and my life as loss. And all I want are greater things from Jesus. There's power in that, isn't there? And yet there's equally a lot of pain in that offering. What an incredible narrative. I don't know if it's sunk in yet. I mean, I've been reading this all week, so it's been sinking in. But I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit right now. Like right now, I pray. I pray as you're asking yourself, how far? How far will I go? I pray my answer and your answer is this. Wherever He leads me, Lord, I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. That's my prayer for you and me. One commentator said it like this, the warnings from the Holy Spirit were intended to prepare Paul not to stop him. Hmm. Write down key number one. Here it is, key number one. Supreme devotion to God will prove itself by being willing to do anything for the name of the Lord Jesus. Key number one. Supreme devotion for any of us to God will prove itself by being willing to do anything for the name of the Lord Jesus. As we're in this crisis in our world, this spiritual crisis, it's time to sound the alarm. I mean, it's time to sound the alarm. And as I think through that, Will we joyfully lay down these lesser things for the spiritual greater things that only come through Christ? Well, we got to begin to ask ourselves, church, do I hunger and thirst for more of God? Do I hunger and thirst for holiness? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do I hunger and thirst for revival and reformation? Do I hunger and thirst for, for total obedience? Do I hunger and thirst for true surrender? Do I hunger and thirst to be willing to go wherever He leads me. You know, and sometimes that isn't necessarily going anywhere. Sometimes where He's leading is right where you are. And He wants you to take the next step right where you are. Like right where you are, He's brought you right where you are, wherever that is. You guys know the old phrase, wherever you are, that's where you are. And so many times we're looking for something else, right? We're, we think the grass is greener on the other side. And often God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is going, I brought you here, wherever here is. Be there. 
As Jim Elliott, the great martyred missionary, said, who exchanged lesser things for greater things, he said, wherever you are, for God, be all there. It's easy to want to run, isn't it? Just run. It's easy. I get it. I get it. But often the Lord is saying, I brought you here. And where I bring you, I'll feed you. And where I bring you, I'll do great things. And where I bring you, I'll show you my glory. Ask yourself, are you hungering for God and Him alone? Are you hungering for His truth? Are you hungering for His Word? Are you, are you hungering to make disciples of Jesus? Biblical truth matters. Doctrinal truth matters. Satan hates what God loves. And equally true, Satan loves what God hates. The entire point of the Christian life is this, in a nutshell, to give your life away. That's it. Jesus bought you. He ransomed us. We sang about that this morning. The entire point of your life is to give your life away. The most miserable people that I've encountered on the planet are the most selfish and the most joyful people that I've encountered on the planet in my years on this planet are the ones that just give their life away. Just give it away. Most joyful people I've been around. I want us to think on something. I wrote this down. I said, because it's the truth of God's Word that can set people free, we must fight to the very end to defend His glory, His honor, His Word at any and all costs. Because I went on to write down, and you might recognize these words, what can wash away my sin? Anybody? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Anybody? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow of blood that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Christ really is our only hope in both life and death. He's your only hope. There is nothing else. And Paul knew this. This is why Paul was willing to go and do whatever it cost. He knew it. Church, I pray as we think through these thoughts that we will live quorum Deo. Quorum Deo. To live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, all to the praise and glory of God. Amen? Write down Luke. I'm going to give you several supporting verses under key one. Write these down. And let me read key number one one more time, and I'm going to give you supporting verses. Here it is. Key number one, supreme devotion, how far will I go for God, will prove itself by being willing to do anything for the name of the Lord Jesus. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Write down Luke, Luke chapter 14, 25 through 33. 
Luke 14, 25 through 33, it says this, now great crowds accompanied him or literally followed him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, boy, he gets really, really personal, Jesus does, doesn't he? For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? How far will I go for you, Jesus? Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, verse 29, Luke 14, when he had laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or 31, here's another example. What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. 33, so therefore, in light of what was just said, any one of you who does not renounce, who does not forsake, who does not abandon, who does not put it second, who does not say, How much will it cost to follow you, Jesus? All that he has cannot be my disciple. Well, that's some heavy lifting right there, isn't it? That's some heavy lifting right from the Scripture. That's just from the Bible. And I always find this comical. Look at this verse here. Verse 25 of Luke 14, now great crowds accompanied him, they followed him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them all these words. Now, this would not happen in America in 2024, as far as if you got a big church, right? You got a bunch of people, you go, man, look at them, we're amazing, look what we're doing, right? What did Jesus do? He was always about thinning the crowd, always, Always. He's the only religious leader I've studied in decades that actually wanted to make the crowd smaller. Only one. You know why, don't you? It wasn't that Jesus was trying to figure out where their hearts were. He was trying to prove a point that they would know where their hearts were. One of the most misguided things going on in Christianity today is you got a bunch of people running around all over the world that have no clue where their hearts are. But we love Jesus. That's what the pastor told me when I was seven. Did he tell you this passage? Uh, No. How far will you go for Jesus? Like, is everything right now in the middle of the table? Is it on the altar? Are you holding everything so loosely that if Jesus today goes, you know what? I think I want boop, that right there. Are you going to go, take it, Jesus. Use it for your glory. I said, most people are going to get into a tug of war with Jesus. And it's that four-letter word that is so toxic, so poisonous. M-I-N-E, mine. This is mine, Jesus. <laughs> you don't understand. It's mine. And when we say those words to Jesus, if we're not careful, he may look at us and go, you're right, because you're actually not mine. How far will you go? How far will you go? Romans 12, verse 1, says it like this, I appeal to you, Paul writes, therefore, brothers, fellow believers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Do this as what kind of sacrifice? Help me, church. A living, not a dead one. There's a lot of people all over the world today sitting inside of churches that are dead sacrifices. No living. What? Holy. (laughs) 
Like, is there anyone here today that goes, man, I just want to be more holy? Anybody? I know I do. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable and your spiritual worship. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, Galatians 2.20, famous verse, it's on coffee mugs and I guess when we used to use mouse pads and whatever. I have been crucified with who, Paul says? Christ. And then right here, you're going to hear five of the most powerful words strung together in this particular order. It is no longer I. Woo! Man, you get a bunch of people gathered together going, it's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about your glory and your fame and the renown of your name. And all I want is you and nothing else. And I'm going to push everything in the middle of the table because Jesus, no matter how far you want me to go, I'm there. Watch out, Satan. You get a bunch of people living that. Just not saying it, but living it. The gates of hell will not prevail. Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 14 Philippians 1, 12 through 14, I want you to know, brothers, this is Paul writing to the church there in Philippi, listen to these words, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What happened to Paul? Any ideas? I got an idea. Let's read on. Verse 13, Philippians 1, so that, that's the why, is it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Not a trick question. What's happened to Paul? Any ideas? He's in prison. Why? Speeding tickets? Didn't pay him? Oh, I got it. Unpaid library fines, right? That's what it is. Why is he in prison? Do we know? Praise Jesus. <laughs> How far will you go for me, Paul? I'll go to prison. And do you know this? That when he says the whole imperial guard, there was upwards of 10,000 soldiers in that guard. Don't waste where God has you. He may have you right where he wants you. And it may be in prison because he needs 10,000 people to hear about this Jesus who is called the Christ and who can save them and redeem them from their pain. Powerful, isn't it? Well, what happens next in Philippians 1? We didn't finish, so let's keep going. What's it say, 14? Philippians 1, 14. And most of the brothers, that's referring to believers, having become what? This is so key. Confident in who? In the Lord. How? By my what? And they are much more bold to speak the word without, help me church, fear. See, we don't look at it like that though, do we? We don't look at our imprisonments in life with that lens, do we? I know what I do. We're not praying, you know, King James prayers. We're in our prisons, if you will, are we? Thee, thou, thouest, wiest, doest, right? What do we do? Help! <laughs> Get me out of here yesterday, right? What was Paul doing? Paul's like, he don't understand. See, I already decided on the front end how far I'd go for Jesus. And even if met, I would lose friends and family members. I was not going to turn back. I was going to be willing to do the right thing all for the praise of God's glory. And oh, by the way, what happens here? It's so glorious. It's so beautiful, right? What happens? This is so cool, isn't it? Think about this. Because of this, guess what? God, God uses and works in power through the imprisonments of all of our lives. We surrender everything to Him. He works. He's moving. He's doing something behind the scenes. Yeah, that's what God does. Church, how far are you willing to go? One person said it like this, courageous leaders do the things that make them uncomfortable. They do the things that may push a conversation to the stage of awkwardness. Even when they're humbled and humiliated, they still do the next right 
thing, period, end quote. Wow. Mm. A.A. Hodge years ago said it like this, it's easier to find a score of men wise enough to discover the truth than to find just one intrepid enough, fearless enough in the face of opposition to stand for it, end quote. It's good. Church, how far are you willing to go for Jesus? Here it is, our second and final chunk, 21, Acts 21, 14 through 16. Look at it with me. Verse 14, Acts 21. And since he would not be persuaded, who's he? Any ideas? Paul, good. I love this. Good. He would not change his mind. We ceased, we relented, we gave in and said, oh, whew, it's powerful right here. It's powerful, these words. Let the will of the who? The Lord be done. Hmm. See, they respected Paul and his conviction, and they simultaneously trusted God completely. Hmm. So what happens? Well, 15, after these days, we got ready. They packed their bags, what they did. They went up to Jerusalem. You've got to remember, Jerusalem was up on a plateau. So picture that. They went up to Jerusalem on this plateau, about 65 miles from Caesarea, about a two-day trip back in that day. Lastly, 16, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us. Oh, I love that. Boy, they're going with, right? They're going together. Unity, oneness bringing us to the house there of Manasseh, of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. This church is the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Right there it is. That's it. And his life as a free man will take a turn. And Paul's resolve, Paul's resolve is like none other. Write this down, key number two. Here it is, key number two. Let the will of the Lord be done will be the desperate cry of every true believer in every area of their life. Key number two. I'm going to show you from Scripture why this key number two is true. Let the will of the Lord be done will be, that phrase, will be the desperate cry of every true believer in every area of their life. So church, help me on this for a moment. So if you're right now saying, you know what, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me like He is all up in my business. And if you're willing right now to cry out and say, may your will be done, even as the illustration I just gave you Where are my hands? Where are they? Where are they focused? Where are they aimed? What are they hanging on to? What are they released from? That's it right there. No longer singing, I surrender psalm. Which, what a horrible, dangerous song that has infiltrated the church over the years, isn't it? I surrender psalm. You guys know that song? Some to Jesus I surrender, some to Him I freely give. I surrender psalm, I surrender psalm. Yeah, it's a song, trust me. It's a song. No, you just take your hands off and hear me clearly again from personal experience over the many, many years. So often, so often God's not leading you elsewhere. He's leading you deeper where you are. Deeper where you are. Do you ever ask yourself what the will of the Lord is for your life? Ever been there? Has ever been there before? God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Anyone ever been there besides me? 
It's lonely up here. Yeah, I asked that. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? God, what do you want me to, what's your will in that situation? I ask that frequently. God, what is your will? What do you want me to do? Because I, I want to do what you want me to do. Like, it's a good thing, amen? I just want to do whatever you want me to do, so what's your will? Write down these verses. I'm going to give you several. I hope this will help you as you're wrestling with, let the will of the Lord be done. As you're taking your hands off the wheel, Jesus, take the wheel. Sounds like a great title to a song, amen? Luke 9, Luke 9, 23. Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, how many did he say to? Do we know? How many? All. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. I repented when I was six. Great. Are you still an ongoing, lifelong repenter? Then follow me. That's the will of God for your life, if you're a true believer. It's that simple. God will meet you where you obey Him. And God will meet you when you open His Word. He'll meet you there. Like he's got an appointment with you and me. When you and I open his word, he will meet us on those pages. Because church, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and this is so counterintuitive, but let me say it from Scripture. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit actually comes from emptying ourselves. That's where it comes from. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve the enemy of self and God. It's a tug of war. You've got to empty yourself. You've got to die daily. You've got to crucify the flesh. You've got to cry out as Paul did in Galatians 2.20. We just read it. It's no longer I. That's where every true believer has to get to. Matthew chapter 22, another supporting verse about the will of God in my life, your life, 37 through 39, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So out of the gate, you got to just love God more than anything. That's his will for your life. John 6.40, more of His will. John 6.40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, Jesus, and believes in Him, intellectual, emotional response, surrender of the will, should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Right there, that's the Father's will. John 9.31, John 9.31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. That means unrepentant, unregenerated. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does what? Here it is. Does what? Help me. His will. What could we say in that phrase could be a word? Obey. Amen. Jesus said in John 14.15, not on the screens, if you love me, obey me. See, obedience is the proof that you really love God. Obedience is the proof that you've given your life to God. There really is proof in the pudding, amen? Hmm. John 15, 4 through 5. John 15, 4 through 5. I love this. John 15, 4 through 5. Abide in me, Jesus says. So be tethered to me, be anchored to me, be riveted, be welded to me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. I am the vine. Matter of fact, in earlier verses, he said, I am the true vine. Stay away from the false vines. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. Uh-oh, two-way street here. Ooh, that's good, isn't it? Boy, there's a bunch of people all over the world today that think they're in the club. But on the last day, Jesus will say, it's not that I don't know you back then or I didn't know you back then. I've never known you. Ever. Ever. 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from Jesus, me, you can do what, church? Nothing. A big bag of nothing. Mm. Bear fruit. Is what the Bible says, worthy of repentance. So the Bible says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. What's that mean? What does that mean to bear fruit worthy of repentance? Here's what it means. It means that if you are a lifelong repenter, which we all should be, because I've given this illustration before, but let me give it again. You could have repented when you were six. That was great. But something tells me between six and 70, if it's a true confession, a true belief in Christ, a true turning over, a true regeneration, a true divine exchange, if that's true, at some point between six and 70, sin in your life is going to be revealed. Amen? And so if it's revealed, you got to do something with it. <laughs> you got to repent from it why the Bible talks about being a lifelong repenter. The people that hate to hear about repentance are exactly the people that need to do what, church? Repent. You can talk about drugs and alcohol and whatever to be all day long, and I'll smile at you. You start talking about Chick-fil-A chocolate chip cookies, there's going to be a war, amen? Because I'm going to be under heavy conviction, and we get under heavy conviction with the stuff that gets up in our business. And the Holy Spirit's trying to work, and we war against, and we fight against, we rebel against, we claw against. And if we're not careful, we're actually advancing the kingdom of Satan through these attitudes of the heart that are not of the Lord. So what happens? Well, John 12, 2, I'm sorry, Romans 12, 2. Let's get out of John for a moment, back to Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Mind. The battlefield of the mind. That's why you've got to be under the Word. If you're not under the Word, your mind won't be renewed. It won't. It won't happen. That by testing, hmm, we don't like that, you may discern what is the what, church? Will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, we'll call it A as an apple. For this is the will of God, your what? Sanctification. That's the will of God in your life. If you're a true believer, it's not on the screens, but write down Romans 8, 29, somewhere right next to that. And the whole point for the true believer is to be sanctified. It means this, ongoing change, becoming more like Jesus. Going back to the illustration that you were six when you made a profession, now you're 70, let's say... Can people look at your life and go, man, you've become more like Jesus. My, my fear is that often that's not the case. So many times, if we're truthful, we've just become more like ourselves. And that's not of the Lord. Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 10 the will of God. Here it is. Matthew 6, 9 through 10. Pray then like this, Jesus says. He gives us the model. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be whose name? Your name, not ours. <laughs> not our name. Our name is nothing, right? What is nothing? 10. Your kingdom come, your will be what, church? Done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll tell you what, for the true believer, boy, when you can begin to crowd every day, hallowed be your name. Hallowed, your kingdom, your will. I'll go and do whatever you want me to, Jesus. If that means stay put, I'm going to stay put. If that means go, I'm going. That should be the cry of everyone's heart that's here listening that said to the true believer, God, what do you want me to do? And he'll show you. He'll show you. But I want to prayerfully just bring all this together with one final thought. I just want to bring it all together, okay? Just all together. And I want you to write down this passage. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. I'm not sure I could have somehow even come up with a better address numerically. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Here's what the Word of God says, 
because as we go back to Acts for just a moment, as we begin to tie this all together, so we're going to try to take Acts 21, so we're over here, and we're going to try to tie it together. Does that make sense? We're, going to, we're over here, but we want to tie it together, okay? And so as we're trying to do this by the power and illumination of the Holy Spirit, when Paul was there and Paul said, look, don't move me from the mission, I'm willing to be imprisoned. I'm willing to die. Often that's referred to as Paul's Gethsemane. Because they said, let the will of the Lord be done. And right here, as I read these words, as I read these words, right here. Right here as I read these words. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called what? Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and help me church pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, whose names were what? Do we know? James and John. He began to be what? Sorrowful and troubled. 38, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch, exclamation point, with me. There's a thought there, an emphatic of that thought. Watch here with me. And going, how far was Jesus willing to go? That's the real question in all this, isn't it? And going a little farther. He fell on his face. This is Jesus, the King of glory. This is God incarnate in the flesh. And what did he do? And he prayed. And he said, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Misnomer here, let me clear this up. He wasn't saying, God, if this is possible. He's praying, saying, if this is permissible in your will, is what he's saying. All things are possible with God, amen? Amen. And then he says this word, nevertheless, not as I will, but as what church? You will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, lowercase s in spirit. But the flesh is weak. Mm. You may not enter into that temptation because again, 42, again for the second time, he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. I'll go as far as you want me to go, God. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, verse 44, he went away and prayed for which time? The third, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, sleep and take your rest on later or later on. The hour, the divine hour, the appointed time is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then he says these words with such emphasis, such power, such resolve in the midst of the evil, in the midst of all that was going on, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the pushback, in the midst of the criticism, in the midst of the lies, and all that went on in his day towards him. He says, rise, rise, get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Because Jesus was the master of staring evil in the face. Do you know the secret sauce to being willing to stay the course in the midst of it all? On the front end, decide, how far will I go for Jesus? And if you get that buttoned up on the front end, watch out. Watch out, Satan. May the Lord be honored 
as we no longer surrender some, but today we surrender all. Amen. Oh, Father, we come before You. We worship You. We humble ourselves. May we be like Paul, who was willing to go to prison, who was willing to die for Jesus. May we be like Paul, who said, let the will of the Lord be done as he gathered with that group on the beach, and they pronounced that together. But God, may we most be like Jesus, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. And now because of His obedience, He sits at your right hand. Father, I don't know where people stand with you today in true regeneration or not. But God, my prayer is this, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that has never truly surrendered their life to you, God, I pray by your power, by your spirit, may today be the day of salvation. And so Lord, as we humbly come before you with soft, tender hearts, may you work in power in this moment. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.